Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, where we pre-stream each episode on Twitter Spaces the day before publishing on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. In addition, Blockchain Recorded Podcast is a proud media partner of the upcoming Istanbul Blockchain Week event. For further event information, speakers, and ticket details with available discounts, check istanbulblockchainweek.com. This episode is dedicated to the Web3 Stronger Together ecosystem initiative and its first virtual summit, which took place between March 1st and March 4th, 2023 in Evelyn's Metaverse, a virtual platform uniting several hundred Web3 leaders and thinkers, over 100 projects and speakers, and over 5,000 attendees from across the world. The purpose of Web3 Stronger Together, with which Blockchain Recorded is a proud media partner, is to demonstrate to the crypto community that the Web3 ecosystem is strong, solidary, active, and committed to furthering innovation, despite the status of the market and nature of price speculations. It emphasizes the importance of fairness, inclusivity, diversity, and sustainability to furthering healthy Web3 fundamentals. The summit included many panel discussions with assigned topics, which Blockchain Recorded is redistributing in audio form. The fourth panel discussion on March 2nd and 13th panel overall explores DeFi with respect to -to peer-to-peer lending and decentralized credit. The speakers were Jonathan Dunsmore, U.S. Corporate Attorney from Dunsmore Law, Holger Fischer, Blockchain Solution Analyst from Concordium, and David Palmer, Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Vodafone's Digital Asset Broker Platform. The speakers discussed the potential and advantages of decentralized credit and peer-to-peer lending platforms in the DeFi space and how they could revolutionize traditional lending models. The following is the panel's discussion hosted by Laurent Perello, the leader behind the Web3 Stronger Together ecosystem initiative. We do apologize for potential audio drops due to choppy internet connections. We edited the recording to the best of our ability. Welcome, Olga, Jonathan, and uh, David, to talk about uh, DeFi and the future of lending, P2P lending and uh, decentralized credit. It's a panel discussion for Web3 Stronger Together Virtual Summit, day two. Welcome. Welcome, guys, again, for joining. Bring your uh, vision, uh, your thoughts, your knowledge and uh, contributing to uh, this uh, Web3 Stronger Together initiative. Jonathan, could you uh, introduce yourself and uh, please let us know what you are doing and why are you uh, uh, involved in crypto decentralization, uh, Web3? Yes, yes. First of all and foremost, thank you for having me. Uh, These webinars and and these types of conferences where you have uh, an entire global community together is incredibly important. And so uh, I'm honored to participate and happy to be on such a dope panel. 
And also, more importantly, uh, none of this is financial advice, none of this is legal advice, uh, and none of this is investment advice. I think I speak for all my fellow panelists when I say, uh, if you do anything that we tell you to do or that you uh, believe is our idea, uh, as we often do it, you may be in trouble. Uh, yeah. And don't. Yeah. Well, well, well done. Well done. It's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I apologize for my appearance. I just flew back from uh, London uh, to Denver, and so uh, it's been a long morning. But uh, it's 4 a.m. here, or 4.30. Uh, Thanks so much for my passion. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about my passion for the space and excited to see uh, you know, what's coming in the future. I know we're in a tough regulatory time. Uh, I've been in this industry since late 2016. It's been very, very volatile. Uh, I'm hoping that the uh, next year or so we start kind of smoothing things out and we, uh, as an industry, kind of come together and build solutions that actually build on the infrastructure that we need. And that'll hopefully clear up a lot of the regulatory problems that we have. But my name is Jonathan Dunsmore. I am in a law firm called Dunsmore Law. We deal with corporate securities. And I fell down the blockchain rabbit hole when people started asking about Howie opinions and ICOs and things like that. And so now we try to make sure people stay out of regulatory trouble, or if they are in that weird gray area that we have, uh, hopefully a, a legal opinion that can cover them. But I'm very excited about this space. DeFi lending is arguably arguably the most hot topic, I think, for the SEC coming up in, in the next year or so. I am really curious to, to, to get your, your, your point of view. Welcome, David. Hi, everyone. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I just flew back from Barcelona, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Not as long as you, but also, also very <laughs> tired. Um, but at the same time, really excited about this conference. I agree uh, with everything Jonathan said. Not financial advice, um, yeah, not legal advice, uh, but um, very excited to have this discussion on, on DeFi. Uh, I think it was one of the, the stars to come out of the uh, sort of Web3 winter or crypto winter of 2021. Um, very exciting. It's shaking up lending. Um, it, it's really uh, disrupting the financial industry, and I'm excited to to discuss that with the panelists today. Thank, thanks for, uh, for for joining, Olga. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is uh, Holger Fischer. Um, I work at the uh, public permissionless uh, layer one blockchain called the uh, Concordium, and I've been working there for approximately a year. I've been in this industry for uh, for four years now, and um, I'm not going to be able to give any legal advice or any legal <laughs> aspect or perspective or anything. I come from a very uh, technical background uh, with a master's in uh, in data science and machine learning, and uh, currently I'm working on uh, building a few lending protocols uh, with some projects on Concordium, the smart contract composition that goes into that, how to facilitate P2P lending and decentralized credit. And we are also trying to wrap our head around the new regulation that is emerging, but that's a very difficult aspect. So I'm going to leave that to uh, to Jonathan to talk about. <laughs> so uh, thanks for this yeah. <laughs> introduction. I remember we not not only talked to uh, early adopter the web free ecosystem. We we really aim to uh, contribute to educate, learn, and it's more. Uh, uh, financial uh, ad advisor guys, uh, there is no emoticons to rocket, and we are far away from being uh, to the moon, boys. Let's talk about the, the today uh, topic: uh, DeFi and the future of lending, P2P lending, decentralized credit. Maybe we could start to explain 
what is the main difference between the current credit system and the, the, the P2P uh, version or the decentralized uh, version? Who wants yeah. to, to start to, to share? Olga, uh, you want? You can yeah. explain? I mean, briefly, how um, we understand it here at Concordum and it's, it's, it's a type of lending where borrowers, retailers can obtain loans directly from investors, right? Uh, so they don't uh, need the traditional financial institu institutions acting as an intermediary. And uh, most of this happens on uh, decentralized lending protocols or uh, lending platforms. And we use these or uh, online marketplaces to connect borrowers with lenders, right? And it usually involves um, borrowers filling out an application, which is then reviewed by the P2P lending platform. And then if it's approved, the loan is listed on the platform and investors can can choose to to fund it, right? And I think that would be a very high level description that's easy to understand for everyone about what exactly a P2P lending is about and what a lending protocol is. Yeah, I, I think one, one of the things I'd add to that, Paul, though, is just you, you can do peer-to-peer -peer lending without Web3. Um, the, the, yeah. what, what makes DeFi different is uh, two things. So uh, blockchain, uh, which is providing a level of trust and immutability and smart contracts, right? And those smart contracts um, you know, are, are, are essentially automating lending. Blockchain is providing the trust for that lending. And um, uh, when you put those two things together, uh, you've got a very disruptive uh, solution, which essentially democratizes banking, right? So you've got, uh, you know, you, you've got uh, Yield Farm, which, which essentially are, are about uh, liquidity. Yeah. And, um, and uh, when you, when you sort of look at that, anyone can, can, can get together and form part of that liquidity pool, um, you know, to start lending and essentially become a bank. And it also, um, I would like to think, and I don't know this, maybe it's part of the discussion, uh, that, that it's also going to democratize and make it more equal who can access financial services. Because after all, part of the vision for Web3 was to ban the on bank, right? Uh, and, and to make banks exactly. uh, available. But, but, but I think, uh, just, just in short, the difference is it's peer to peer. I could go and give you five dollars and then lend it to you. But the difference there is the blockchain and the smart contract. Okay. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, Jonathan, um, uh, in, in a legal point of view, can we, uh, consider it's risky? We have seen some uh, lending protocol over, you know, under collateralized and so on. And we, we, we see also, let's say, um, not the, the best use case coming in this segment of the, of the, the crypto market, your uh, legal point of view as a lower, as having to deal with well, well, regulators. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is a reality. Can you legal opinion? <laughs> no, a lot more time. It's, it's just a feedback. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, this is just uh, educational information, as we say. So, you know, to echo what everybody else has said, there is, you know, a question of what the decentralization of it is, right? If I am a bank, I am a very centralized entity. I work with the government. The government sometimes gives me money <laughs> um, in the United States. That's basically how your mortgages are created. And so there's there's a really special relationship with most banks. Um, and the government. And so that's either done through a centralized bank or in the United States, we have this weird quasi-centralized, quasi-private, quasi-public thing called the Federal Reserve. And when we're looking at this type of new world, it basically ar arose from two problems of, hey, I've got tokens that no one will 
let me loan against, whether it's, it's, you know, needing to pay a mortgage or needing to, I don't know, take someone out to dinner or uh, buy a house or, you know, all of these normal everyday life things. Nobody was doing, nobody we couldn't go into a normal bank and say, hey, here's my Bitcoin. They look, what was Bitcoin? I've heard of that. That, that crazy crypto drug money, you know, get the hell out of my bank. And so, you know, that's where the need from our, one of the needs for, of DeFi arose, but also the liquidity issue. If, if I'm hodling and I'm, you know, sitting on a good position and I want to go still play in the market, but nobody in the traditional world will give me the loan to go play or go back in the market. It creates this like negative incentive to be like, wait a second, we know there's an issue. We know there's more to be had. There's more liquidity. There's more access to the market that needs to be given by known participants, known traders. DeFi is not something that you just like stumble upon as your, you know, 90 year old aunt and it's like, oh, I'm going to go DeFi some shit. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> you got to know what you're doing. And so the world of DeFi, the farther we get from the centralized banking model, the better we are. As long as it's more code, as long as it's more, you know, programmatically, um, the interests, the variables, the uh, liquidity pools, you know, liquidity pool provision. And some of that we're still figuring out, which is why we have governance tokens. And I don't want to speak about any specific DeFi lending protocol, but, you know, we're still in the infancy of all this. <laughs> As, you know, David was saying, uh, we're still early. We're still very, very early. Yeah. Yes, Olga? No, yes, I just, I, I want to piggyback on that because we are still very early, right? And and I mean, you, you really also get to know this when you work with a lot of these protocols and developer teams who are building as do here in, in, in a layer one, right? Because a lot of them are also very worried about what this... Uh, new regulation that is emerging, what it will do and what it will mean for them, right? Because there's so many points here in terms of, of AML and, and KYC regulations or consumer protection or data protection. And a big one that we are focusing a lot on, on is, 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 is having uh, your smart contracts audited in a proper way uh, to make, because I mean, they are, as, as David mentioned here before, a very essential part of uh, the decentralized finance aspect, the P2P lending platform. And they must be audited to ensure that they function as intended, right? And they do not in contain any vulnerabilities that could be exploited by hackers. And a lot of these regulatory bodies that are looking into it, they probably also will eventually require platforms to conduct regular smart contracts audit to ensure their security, right? And this is important. It's very important because if that doesn't happen, uh, and now as Jonathan just say, I'm not here to mention any names as well, but we have seen examples of some of these decentralized networks where there hasn't been enough security, right? And, and there has been smart contract exploits and hacks. And then this resulted in a lot of people not being investors, not being protected, probably losing their funds, having a bad experience in this space. And then we lose them, right? Because they come in, they burn themselves, and then they leave again, right? But if, and everyone keeps forgetting that we are still very young. And sometimes when the market cap of the industry is three times higher than it is right now, and there's a lot of hype and everything, People forget that this technology has actually not been around for a very long time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I definitely agree with that. That's a very good point. Yeah. I want to ask now to David because it's a very interesting point, uh, Olgan. Uh, yes, security matters. I'm, I'm, I'm the one uh, in, uh, in this <laughs> industry to constantly talk about it uh, because when I see that some people are just focused on the 
let's say, technical performance, TPS and so on, and saying oh, we can sacrifice a bit security to improve uh, the, the, the performance. Now, security is a, is a real topic. And we have not only to think about securing people who want to join in a legal point of view or a technical point of view, but also to protect the one inside, already inside, because if we rinse uh, everybody, uh, our ecosystem will not last. David, you, you started to talk about a, a really important point for me, uh, inclusivity and real one. It's one of uh, the few vision uh, values that guide what we, we, we aim to do with Repris Stronger Together, bringing this innovation to each one, everyone, everywhere, and not to let people again on the side of the this journey. What we, should we do to, one more time, it's not financial advice, but how can we create the context, uh, maybe with regulation, cooperation with regulators, uh, institutional actors, how can we use this innovation to improve the life of each one and everyone concretely? How can we realize this uh, inclusivity? No, I think it's a good question, um, Laurent. And um, I, I think it's, you know, we, we have to look back at where this all started, right? So this, the, the, this Web3 blockchain revolution or evolution started uh, in the financial crisis of 2007, uh, trying to get some transparency. And we have to remember where we were at that time when banks were failing and being bailed out by government uh, with taxpayers' dollars, you know, and, uh, and the whole system was on the brink of collapsing. Right. So I think on the one hand, we have to accept that whilst the financial uh, system we have now worked and it has developed over time, there is still risk there. And, and that was proved uh, in 2007. And, um, you know, the whole point of it was to create transparency, uh, make it more inclusive. Um, and, and then we still had this issue of, you know, a significant number of people, you know, in, in the world, a significant percentage don't have access to financial services. Right. So can't borrow and then can't invest. They're not going to be part of the wealth that's being created. And I'm very proud uh, of what happened in Web3, uh, where, um, you know, some, uh, you know, some people came out of the shadows uh, with some code and created um, a system that, uh, you know, started with Bitcoin and has now extended to a number of protocols, including Holger, um, you know, which, which are now capable of providing financial, I won't say financial services, but providing services uh, that can allow people to have peer-to-peer lending, um, you know, can, can, can you know, have made a lot of people, um, you know, have access to, to opportunities they haven't had before. And I think that is very positive, but I do accept, you know, and I think DeFi uh, in 2021 was something none of us saw coming, neither did we see NFTs. I think both of those two things, uh, are, you know, we're only beginning to see the potential. And I think uh, now you are having a lot of financial institutions looking at uh, DeFi, looking at smart contract lending, and uh, wanting to get involved in it. Now, now I think one of the things we mustn't do is build the bias that's associated with some of the, the current system into the new system, right? So, 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 so if you build the bias into the algorithm, uh, then, then you're going to have the same result, right? And I think that's the only danger of smart contract lending. Uh, let's fix it. You know, um, one of the characteristics of DeFi 1 uh, is over collateralized, right? So, so you had a, a position in DeFi 1 uh, where uh, you, 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 you had to put down more money than you were borrowing, right? Um, yeah, so, they, so there was relatively no risk according uh, to the lending. DeFi, DeFi 2.0 you know, has a stronger connection with the community. 
uh, but also a stronger connection to financial system. And uh, what we've got to watch is as we start, start evolving from DeFi 1.0 to DeFi 2.0 to DeFi 3.0 in the future, is that we don't just make it another product of the financial system and we don't build the bias into the protocol. I, I think that's important. Well, yeah, I, I come from a telecom background. I mean, what we've seen is the democratization of connectivity, not the full democratization, but you've got 6.1 billion people uh, with a smartphone now that can access the uh, services. You're starting to see Web3 and crypto, um, you know, uh, being adopted as currencies in some of, some of the biggest developing countries in the world. Um, so, so we're seeing that from a connectivity and an access site, it's there. If we can match that with the with the with the Web three financial product uh, to equal that, then I think we could make the progress. Yeah, and thanks. So then, and yes, Bob Olga. Yeah, just quickly because I I think there's a lot of 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 important truth to that, right? I mean, we have a lot of the regulation that also goes on right now in the EU around the AI system that's being operated here it focuses a lot on the ethical. And the bias that is happening, right? When 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 it's being trained on 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 specific data that feeds into these models, right? And and I think and, and hear what David said. I mean, this is one of the reasons I'm here in this industry, right? Because when we talk about uh, P2P lending and decentralized credit, we're also talking about just to bring in because we haven't talked a lot about blockchain yet, but to bring in this self-executing code on a blockchain, right? That facilitates these transactions by automating the processes of borrowing and lending, right? So, I mean, you are removing a lot of potential fires. You are removing a lot of, of ethical issues also. But then and, and but then you you need to keep in mind that, that, that it can facilitate a lot of important stuff. But then that is where regulation also comes in, right? To make sure that then everything is being regulated because it is still self-executed code, right? And when you then go into... I mean, how exactly it works in, in terms of a borrower requesting a loan and then the collateral is locked in a smart contract and then you have a lender that funds the loan and then the smart contract executed the loan and then you have the various repayment and collateral releases depending on how exactly the specific platform works. I think that there's a lot of this where you are actually protected uh, as an investor, where you are leaving out current bias and current ethical issues that you have in the more traditional way of, of doing it, right? So so I think that is, in a way, a good way to sort of propose how you protect the investor, how you attract a, a small retail investor as well, because they are protected in a different way, right? And and I think this is our job to sort of make them understand how exactly that works, because that is the difficult part, right? Yeah, I, I, I often say we shouldn't uh, wait for uh, the, the regulators uh, coming to solve our problem. We could also kind of finding a way to auto-regulate ourselves and improving. Uh, wh what is your point of view, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we have to be better angels. Um, uh, as David was saying, the old system is really, really broken. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to admit how old I was when I found this fact, but women in the United States didn't have like bank accounts until like the 70s. <laughs> That's terrifying. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a reality. Yeah, and so uh, and I was just I, I, while I have problems uh, with with this bank, I, I just saw one of their adverts in in London, uh, and it said, and it was it was aimed at domestic abuse. It was saying, you know, if if he controls your finances, he controls you. And I was like, wow, that you know, at least you're taking a proactive approach. But but that's what we have to do. We have to be very very proactive. We have to let people have this this access to these systems at different levels. If you're clearly uh, an OG and you know what DeFi is, 
you know, maybe you do have a little bit more access to some of the higher, riskier, less collateralized opportunities. But if you're a newbie, if you've just created your MetaMask wallet and you're logging in right now, you know, maybe you shouldn't be able to have the the highly um, troublesome <laughs> DeFi products that we have on the market. I don't know, but I do think that this is a, a broader conversation that people smarter than me need to have. And I think that if we go with it with the understanding that we need to be less racist, less sexist, less bigoted, less, you know, bad, I think we'll get better results. I think if we just focus on, hey, is this person likely to pay back their loan or does this, um, you know, deal or platform make sense? We'll start kind of unraveling uh, a lot of the fabric to this uh, entire world of ours. I, I, he told me, I, I think, sorry, Laura. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. I think there's two key points, right? One of them is the UI UX experience to access DeFi needs to also be democratized. It needs to be something that my grandmother, my mother, your know, people who aren't uh, coders, um, you know, can can access. And I think that is one of the biggest barriers to the adoption of DeFi going forward. I, I think, uh, and if the only way to access it is going to be through traditional financial institutions or or, or, or the the known actors then they will have a say and you and you will have the same uh, result. I think the second thing is uh, to look at um, the, the sort of qualifications, right? A lot of people are excluded from certain types of financial products because of credit scoring and, and other things, right? Are we going to reimagine that? So we reimagine the product. Can we re reimagine that for the people who are, are in countries who don't have the same credentials that we would in Europe and the U.S.? Uh, you know, can use the credentials they have to access DeFi. And I think if we look at those two things, uh, UI, UX, uh, you know, the, the way to access it uh, by your application uh, and also the qualification side, that will give a massive bolt of lightning to the adoption of DeFi. Yeah, a really interesting uh, uh, statement. Jonathan, you want to add something? Yeah, no, I, 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 David's spot on. Like if, if you could start with, um, and, and we've looked at this before, if you could start just verifying someone's education level, right? That's more, that means they're more likely to understand, you know, how loans work, how, how the mathematics behind this works, uh, whether they're, you know, university degree or their uni is licensed or, or whatever is on, on chain. Uh, that's where we start getting into this weird world of, of self, uh, sovereign identity and, and, you know, probably building a system that, allows for us to do loans and, and mm. make investments, whether those are, you know, real investments or other types of investments in developing economies. And and for for people like that who have not had access to even traditional banking, to then be given access to say, hey, I need to go, I don't know, start a small sheep farm in the middle of whatever country. And I've, you know, put my proposal up there. You know, there was this, um, and still is, there's a, a program called Kiva, uh, where you donate money and, and uh, they pay it back, but you don't get the money back. It's, it's very charitable. But you know those types of opportunities alone are enough to change economies. They're enough to change you know empires even. And that's where I think we get into really interesting solutions where people who have been locked out of their current centralized economy, uh, their cent centralized lending or banking system, they get to come to us, whether it's the use of Bitcoin or it's the use of these D DeFi lending protocols, where it's, you know, possibly some sort of crowdfunding that's, you know, legally permitted. That, that's just incredibly exciting to me. That, give, that gives a lot of yeah. people a lot more opportunity and hopefully reduces, you know, suicide rates, violence, all these other kind of terrible things in the world. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I and want to... Like, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Olga, gone. Sorry. No, yeah, it's just I thought there was actually mentioned some pretty interesting things here with self-sovereign ID, etc. And that's not a, a topic we have touched upon yet, right? Because, I mean, we need to remember that this is all about decentralization, trustlessness, bringing a lot of the power back to the people, right? And, and I mean, one of the core principles of uh, the industry, the blockchain technology is decentralization, right? You have no central authority controlling the network. It creates a more trustless environment, which can be very attractive in you are interested in creating systems that are fair and transparent, right? And then when you talk about this self-sovereign ID as well, Jonathan, I mean, right now there's a lot of, of AML and KYC regulations that 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 should also adhere to to these DeFi and PHP lending platforms, right? That they must comply with to prevent money laundering and other fraudulent activities, right? And you need to be able to verify the identity of these users, monitor the transaction if illicit activity happens, and this defining and developing this whole system around that where you are still operating completely privacy-centric, uh, where you are anonymous, but you have the opportunity to be de-anonymized by the platform you operate in if you actually do anything illegal. I think that's a very big step towards this, right? And this also provides this investor protection aspect that the Security and Exchange Commission and Gary Gensler focuses a lot on. I know they are uh, really doing some heavy hits right now, right? And they're sort of doing the opposite towards what marketing crypto assets in the European Union is trying to do. But there's a lot of focus around this, right? And I mean, with where I work at, at, at Concordium as a layer one, it's very focused on, on this identity mechanism, being regulation ready, right? And and this is also where, when you talk about self-sovereign IDs, being able to hold your own identity in your own wallet, and then by the use of, of zero knowledge proofs, when you are interacting with decentralized applications, you then verify specific information, such as your age to, to access a platform, or if you are from a specific country, and then you verify this information, but you don't reveal it or store it anywhere, right? Which is also a big problem in, in terms of, of data security, etc. And, and, and I mean, this, this uh, in, in my point of view, zero knowledge proof, self-sovereign identity, being the owner of your own data, I think that could be for blockchain what, and mass adoption what JetGPT just was for the AI industry as well, right? I mean, we're now moving into some interesting uh, uh, features here. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, Julian. David, let, let's uh, explore a bit. Mass adoption. You started the uh, Olger. I, I highlighted the this importance of the decentralized I, I, ID. You you started to talk about and thanks to you to talk about UI UX. I, I often say, guys, but in Web three we have really talented people, genius. Okay, we are able to create really crazy innovating uh, stuff. Why don't you spend some time to improve the user experience? Please, let's try to make a, a simplification big bang. Because even if you are in since a long time and uh, I defy a lot, I, I time to time it's uh, it's something uh, you swear you are not sure you. David, what what what, you, what is your point of view? How can we really uh, help each one, everyone, to uh, at least make a try to discover to experiment? Yeah, so, so I think I think uh, number one, uh, the product needs to be good, right? So, so is uh, the DeFi product competitive with other products out there? Now, there's one macroeconomic factor that made it less attractive, which is uh, uh, interest rates going up, right? So, as interest rates have gone up, uh, people uh, who are used to the current system can put money into risk-free assets like government bonds, 
or, or deposit accounts and they can get uh, an interest rate which is you know more competitive with the DeFi rate. So I think that makes DeFi less attractive than it was before uh, when we had uh, in, in reality negative interest rates. Um, so, so I think there's one thing is that we, you know, it's nice to have the smart contract of technology, uh, but ultimately for a product to be successful, um, you know, the incentive needs to be there for people to adopt it, right? So I think we need yeah. the, 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 yeah, what we don't do enough in Web3 is think about the business, right? We need business people like Jonathan and these guys in here making the product attractive. I think the second thing is access. We've discussed that already. Um, uh, I, I, I believe uh, one of the key points of access will be the smartphone, 6.1 billion people. Let's get DeFi applications on the smartphone, which are one click, like Apple, uh, very easy to use, very intuitive that uh, people of all uh, technology literacy levels can, can access. Um, I think the other thing is the qualification. Uh, so let's not, um, you know, let, let, let's not design access to DeFi in a way that excludes anyone who's not in Europe or America or, or has a credit score, uh, et cetera. And I think for that, uh, just going back to the points that uh, Holger made on KYC and AML, Actually, why do you need KYC on AML, right? You need it because uh, you have people coming off the street, going online, and uh, and, and basically committing fraudulent uh, things. And it's actually more relevant for non-crypto financial products than it is for crypto financial products. If you have a digital identity and you have a, a history of transacting with that digital identity, you actually have more information on the person. You can be more confident of that person and their activity than you ever could with traditional KYC and AML. Right, so so for me, I exactly. think digital identity and online Web three activity is more powerful than any AML or KYC. So I think we need to rethink that. Right, and I think we can as Web three make a stronger case that we can be more powerful uh, with uh, with with bids and verified credentials than we ever could. Um, but but that, that that's my thing, um, and I, and I think that is the road to mass adoption. I think the move from Web one, uh, sorry, DeFi one dot zero to DeFi two dot zero, which is integration with the financial systems, is, is sensible. Right, more B two B, more focus on communities, uh, moving to DAOs. Yeah, I think that's all very, very good. Uh, but it's very techy, and one of the criticisms I have of our community is that we, you know, we talk too much about technology and protocol. Right, nobody gives a damn. Right, what they actually care about is being able to easily download something, download, download something to their smartphone, and get a higher interest or, or, or a more competitive access to fund than they can elsewhere. And that's what we need to focus yeah. on, more people. It, it, exactly. And I mean, if and this is a conversation I usually have a lot of this in, in this space, right? When you speak to people who aren't focusing on blockchain technology, who aren't familiar with Web3, they usually ask me, but it's so complicated, right? We don't understand all of this talk about protocols and scalability and decentralization and security. It, it just sounds too complex, right? And then I always ask them, but I mean, this is all, all something that functions and works in the backend, right? So it's all about improving, as you say, Dave, the UI, the UX, the frontend. So people, they don't need to know that they sometimes are interacting with blockchain technology, right? It just needs to work. And this, because it's the same when you, when you talk to people and ask them, do you know how the internet functions? No one knows how the internet functions, <laughs> but everyone knows how the applications that's built on top of it functions because that's the ones we interact. Right? Good poetry. Good there is a narrative here in, in, in this industry where we maybe are speaking a little bit too much about the backend instead of focusing on developing a united frontend because that is what eventually will lead to mass adoption. And I, I, I like that. That is, that is very true. I do agree. It's, it's uh, in my point of view, uh, too often uh, focus on this uh, crazy, uh, never-ending uh, technical race. Uh, I, I think we should also at least simultaneously start to uh, calm down 
and really think about uh, real use case and end user and not constantly trying to improve what works already and what could what could really improve uh, the, the daily life uh, of uh, everyone. Jonathan, mass um, adoption, <laughs> compliance, regulation. I, I think the more people we get involved and the more people we explain what we're trying to do, what we're, what our ethos is, what our motto or creed is for all of this, I think we'll get more and more mass adoption. I think when people start seeing that they're safer, that their data is safer, that their information is safer, that their finances are safer, that their transactional um, data, whether that's financial or, or just uncategorized data, is better here than it is in Web 2. And, and I think that we do have to get to this web 2.5 uh, mid fives, I've been calling it, kind of solution of, you know, you know, I'm above 18, you know, I'm above 21, you know, you may know that I'm an accredited investor or, or these different types of opportunities to allow for development. I think that's what's going to slowly start kind of expanding it as well. I think when we start making systems easier that are in the traditional world really, really hard. It just it, it it brings in more people. What happened? What what my journey real quick into this world was was people were calling calling me about ICOs and Howie letters and all this other kind of stuff. And then I had a client who basically said, "How would securities work on a blockchain?" Then, and that's what blew my mind because there's so many parties and dealing with securities from transfer agents to broker dealers to exchanges and. All of those people have to take a cut. All of those people have their own systems. All of those people have their own problems. And in a lot of ways, they've shut out arguably more than half the world. And I think if we change that, if we build better systems, if we try to be more inclusive and we try to make things easier for all of us, and so that you don't need to be a native crypto user to understand, hey, I'm going to put my money in this thing and it's going to give me, I don't know, a respectable yield. But I know that it may be, you know, I have a risk category. I'm, I'm willing to risk it all. I'm willing to risk half of it kind of thing. But some of this is, you know, just educational base. And I think the industry, especially uh, in in this winter session we've had or we're having is, um, is, is really trying to become better with educational information. And I think that's really important. I, I know you don't have to know how the blockchain works, but just understanding what we're doing and, and how we're trying to do it uh, like gives people a little bit more excitement and, and solace that, you know, we're, we're not trying to be the bad actors. We're not trying to be the FBXs to throw anybody under the bus. Um, like we are trying to build better systems. There's still, and there will always be greed. We are just monkeys in clothes. But I, I think if we can continue with that narrative, we'll be, we'll be better stewards of this planet. We'll be better stewards of our, our fellow man and woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it also feels like we have a lot of, of the building blocks out there, right? We just haven't found the proper way to, to put them together because I mean, when you, if we just now talked about usability, right? And, 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 and alleviating service back in, in web two, that could be easier, more usable, more tractable in web three. I feel like uh, uh, when we're talking about lending, right? And we're talking about centralized credit, that that is actually an area where I see a huge future, but but we still need to, to before we actually get mass adoption, as we've been talking about, we need to have the regulation in order. We need to have the consumer protection in order. We need to have the data protection in order, right? And then after that happens, talking about lending protocol, build on top of a blockchain that operates through smart contracts. It's easy to imagine and a front end where depositing assets is easy, issuing loans is easy, repaying these loans are easy. Earning interest is easy, and then various governance aspects towards it. I mean, 
it's it's very it's easy to picture, right? But we have the building blocks. It's just not quite there yet, but it's we're getting there. Thanks a lot, uh, guys. It, it, it has been really uh, captivating. Uh, I learned a lot. It's what I love in uh, in in Web three to meet uh, different uh, point of view, different people uh, like you. Uh, you 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 bring uh, a valuable uh, contribution. Thanks. Thank you again. It's time to close this uh, debate. See you soon, and I'm sure we will have a, a next uh, time uh, a chance to to continue to 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 discuss uh, like this. And uh, let's keep building together. It was a it was a pleasure. Bye bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Very nice thank meeting you. Thanks again to our guests, and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barium Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barriammusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.